Greetings, Maltopians. Are you looking to delve deeper into the world of Maltopia? Then check out our Patreon, where you can find written mythos pieces, world maps, found footage, art, Patreon-exclusive shows, and more. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Maltopia and join one of our tiers for access to great new content. Brave the forbidden and embrace the darkness. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss.
I woke up to a bad dream last night. It's usually the other way around, but when you live in Greywitch, it's not uncommon to see nightmares on this side of sleep. What's this nightmare, you ask? If I told you that it was no more than the sighting of a certain black car, you'd think me silly. Er, paranoid. But that's because you don't live here. If you did, you'd know that the growl of rubber against loose gravel is nothing less than the sound of doom tiptoeing past your doorstep. I should explain. You see, I have the misfortune of living right on the edge of the low house woods. A foggy stretch of black forestry that separates Greywitch from the shadowy borders of Devil's Clay. And although I'm spared the sight of that blighted old town, I am, regrettably, still within yelling distance of the nameless road that leads into it. A swath of trailing and heavily pebbled dirt carved directly through the woods. I've only seen it up close once. That's one too many times, if you ask me. You see, the entrance to the damnable thing isn't always in the same place. And the only reason I could find it the first time was that I was summoned to it by one of its more frequent visitors. More on that later. The truth is, ordinary folk can't find it because it doesn't want to be found. Not by people like you and me, anyway. Nope. I reckon that crooked path is nothing less than a forked tongue dressed in must, dirt, and tossed stone. And only those who seek the company of devils are allowed to travel it. Now, despite that wicked road's propensity to jump around, the location of my house provides me with a vague understanding of where it is. I say vague understanding because it's visible only under certain circumstances. When the bright sickness of moving headlights creeps through the lean finger of the low house woods, or when the night is so delicate that I can hear the soft pitter-patter of moving feet. I once heard someone or something playing Old Man River on what sounded like an out-of-tune harmonica, and in reverse, no less. Now, as you might assume, that a cursed lane doesn't see much company, but when it does, you can rest assured that it's in the form of a beaming, black packard. You see, while the elders of our town certainly vary in the particularities of their stories, there is one detail, one distinct thing that they all agree on. It concerns nothing less than the person responsible for the rising of that shadowy and secret village. How he came alone and strange to the twisted earth and drew forth a city from the barren and sinister clay. His name is only a whisper. Even the boldest of elders, usually the youngest of them, will not speak it above a certain volume. And if they speak it at all, it's only under the most secretive circumstances. What further restrains the full inflection of this name is that it still lives on and is embodied in a man who is undoubtedly the latest descendant of that bizarre founder of Devil's Clay. It is this man and the purr of his midnight-colored Packard that roused me from sleep last night and sent me to the window to see, once again, the waking nightmare known only as Grey Mathers. While I've seen Mr. Mathers' headlights breach the forest line more times than I care to remember, it was the first time I saw them that continues to drive my sleepless nights. I was only 12 when it happened, and I'd only been living in this house for a couple of months. For the life of me, I'll never know why my parents left that quaint little cottage on the other side of town. I remember that the town was in quite an uproar back then. They found Frida Hollander's mutilated body only a few weeks prior, and the police had just apprehended their suspected killer. 
Melvin Sallow. Now, Melvin lived just up the hill from my parents and me on an isolated little patch of dried up farmland. So when I heard that he'd been accused of murder, well, you could say it piqued my boyhood interest. When my little feet scaled the incline of that barren stretch of dirt, the place was awash with flashing blue and red lights. I lingered for hours as police excavated scores of skeletal remains from Melvin's backyard, morbidly watching officer after officer pull up and dust off one crusty bone after another. It was about 8 o'clock when I decided to leave the property, and I remember taking a scarcely used path through the woods to get home faster. The forest was thick with fog that night, and I recall it being quite tricky to walk through, so much so that I ended up taking a painful spill into a patch of sharp thistle. After taking a minute or so to dust myself off, I looked back to see what caused me to trip. At first, the shadows cobwebbing the forest floor made it difficult to see anything, but as I crept closer, I noticed that what caused me to fall was neither a branch, rock, or rogue vine, as I'd first suspected. As it turned out, it was nothing native to the lowhouse woods at all. Jutting out from the dirt, outlined in the pale glow of cold moonlight, was a rusty old carving knife. There was nothing particularly fantastic about the blade. At first glance, I was tempted to leave it. But then I saw the blood smears dashed across its body, and I realized the importance of my find. Now, I can't honestly tell you what compelled me to take the godforsaken thing home with me, but if I had to venture a guess, it was probably the same thing that fuels any boy that aged to do something stupid. A sense of adventure. When I finally got home and stuffed the knife into an aging shoebox under my bed, I wondered what drove Melvin to leave his killing instrument in the forest. I mean, why did he bury it in the ground like that? For some reason, I desperately wanted to apply some logic to a madman's unattainable motives. But after a while, I let it go. I drifted off into sleep, where I would be greeted by dreams of the next day, carrying that foul blade into the Grey Witch police office and being heralded as a hero. I was a particularly imaginative child, I know. It was about three in the morning when I was startled awake. Screams of a car horn echoing in the not too far distance had quickly dragged me from my warm bed to the chilled panes of my bedroom window. Beyond the dire forest line, and between the crooked limbs of so many dying trees was the putrescent glow of a pair of parked headlights. It was just sitting in the middle of the woods, wrapped in the night's darkest pageantry of wispy mists and skulking shadows. It seemed so out of place, like its presence was against the natural order of things. Frightened, I ran to my parents' bedroom, hoping they might know what to do. Then a curious thing happened. Despite jostling their bodies, 
Despite my teary-eyed pleas, despite my frantic childish cries, they would not wake. It was as if their eyes had been soldered shut, clamped down to shield them from the waking world or to trap them in the dreaming one. And during all of this, all I could hear was the sound of that nauseating horn, repeatedly blasting into the air and feeding my eardrums with the audible equivalent of what I can only describe as sourness and distaste. The sound touched something primitive inside me, a primal beat or cadence embedded deep in the little proteinous spirals of our being, preserved generation after generation for the explicit purpose of warning us against it should it ever sound again. I was petrified, to say the least. So I can offer no explanation for the sequence of events I'm about to describe except that they were most likely the actions of a disturbed and traumatized little boy. After making every attempt to wake my parents, all to no avail, I escaped to the nearest closet, eagerly seeking the refuge of a lesser darkness to protect me from the one calling outside my door. I silently begged for the noise to stop, pleading to any and all gods who might listen and reach down their divine hand and pitch that accursed automobile from the earth. But nothing answered. That might have been the moment I lost my belief in God, at least in a benevolent one. Now, I'm not sure if it was the stress or the accumulating heat building up in that small linen closet, but a pressing need for resolve suddenly assailed me. Where I was once terrified by what horrors might be awaiting me outside, I was now struck with an awful compulsion to meet it, and to end, one way or another, the terrible dread it was causing me. I slowly cracked the door open half expecting the beaming eyes of a demonic car to be staring back at me. Instead, I slunk out from the closet quietly, still afraid that whatever was lurking in those woods had stolen its way in, silently gliding through the shadowed spaces of my house. Darkness is a paradoxical thing. In its nothingness, it retains the potential to contain anything. In the foyer was a pregnant void, threatening to birth all the terrors a little boy's mind could conjure. But the horn was getting louder, becoming a physical presence in and of itself, causing me to feel cloyed and claustrophobic. A temporary madness took me, and I finally charged the blackness between me and the door. When I finally went outside, the cold sting of fall greeted me. I have the distinct memory of shivering, but I don't remember if it was from the cold or fright. Still, despite either one, I trudged forward, entering the dimly lit thickets and accepting whatever fate awaited me on the other side. Washed in the glow of the mysterious vehicle's headlights, I walked until I finally reached a clearing. A road, to be exact, that I hadn't noticed before. I remember thinking how strange it was that I had never seen it, being that I had played in those woods against my parents' orders so many times before. That's when the beeping finally stopped. After my ears stopped ringing, I stepped out from the view of those beaming lights and saw, for the first time, the car that owned them. It was an old 1940 Black Packard. I remember thinking the thing had been fashioned from midnight, as its surface didn't reflect but instead seemed to go on forever like I was staring out into some metallic abyss. But let's be honest. It wasn't the car or its curious paint job that ultimately terrified a boy of 12 years of age. No, it was fear of what was behind the wheel, 
and what terrors were waiting for me. So you can imagine my fright when a gravelly, rural voice from the driver's side of the vehicle called out to me. I remember every word he said like it was yesterday. Glad you could make it, my boy, the voice said. But when I finally shuffled over to the other side of the car, I was greeted by something I didn't expect. An aging but surprisingly pleasant man. As a child, I wasn't particularly aware of fashion trends, but I remember thinking how weird it was that the man was wearing such an old-fashioned suit, like the ones they wore in the old Victorian days. But what was more strange about him was his eyes. Beyond his graying beard, beyond the pale veneer of his almost see-through skin were two bluish-gray oceans set into the oculars of a man. The strange man looked at me for a bit and then shook his head. It seems like such an awful thing to hand that buried treasure of yours over to the police, don't you think, Samuel? I mean, to pack away, seal, and stow it away in their little plastic baggies is almost a crime in and of itself, wouldn't you say? I stood there in my little robot pajamas and nodded. I'm glad you and I are of the same mind. It's always so refreshing to meet a kindred spirit especially in this day and age. So I'll tell you what, if you fetch that rusty old thing out from under your bed right now, I'll make sure I find it a right and proper home. How's that sound to you? My mind felt like it couldn't keep up with my legs, and before I knew it, I was through the dreariness of those awful woods and halfway back to my house. When I finally got there, the darkness permeating my home had gone from a bastion for nightmares to peepholes for particular strangely dressed elderly gentlemen. I stormed into my bedroom and scooped the shoebox from under my bed. I remember being abuzz with so many dreadful questions. How did that man know my name? How did he know I had the knife? And how the hell could he have possibly known I hid it beneath my bed? My brain hatched terrible answers to each question, birthing new and horrible possibilities with each passing second. I fled the house as quickly as possible, eager to tender my rusty treasure to the strange man who seemed to know everything. On my way back, it felt as if the forest knew not to obstruct me like each barked arm or each ball of rolling fog could sense my urgency. When I finally returned, the rush of the past few moments was replaced by the delicate purr of that black packard and the slight ting of fingertips tapping patiently upon its side. I slowly walked over, handed the strange gentleman the knife, and then watched the bluish-gray oceans of his eyes suddenly begin to toil. What a fine boy you are, Samuel. The man fidgeted with the stick shift for a moment and then fixed his sight forward as if he was about to leave. But he didn't. Instead, the stranger paused and then suddenly turned and focused those two glowing orbs upon me and smiled. Logic is a cage that can never trap madness, Samuel. Remember that the next time you begin to wonder why lunatics do the things they do. But since I do value a curious mind... Let me impart to you a bit of insight as to why our pal Melvin buried this old rusty thing in the woods. The old man paused a chuckle for a moment and continued. The answer is quite simple. This silly boy didn't realize that certain flowers only bloom if you plant them in the right garden. 
It's a miscalculation that I'll be happy to correct for our sad, unfortunate friend. The man bid me farewell, tipping his peculiar-looking top hat and then sped off down a road that, to my knowledge, had never existed before. Once he was gone, the darkness fell upon me fast and hungry, so I retreated once again through the haze of the misty lowhouse woods until I was finally back home. I didn't sleep a wink that night. I just waited for my parents to wake up and prayed for the mercy of dawn. When my parents awoke, I immediately told them what had happened. I told them about the knife, the honking, their unwakeable sleep, and the strange man in the black packard. I watched their faces as I told them my tale. Their fleshy complexions were drained of blood as if a creature of the night had suddenly swooped in and sucked them dry. By the time I finished, my parents were as white as corpses. Then, after a long spell of silence, my parents urged me to keep my experience a secret. They said the man I had met was none other than Grey Mathers, the mayor of Devil's Clay, and that the mere mention of his name was nothing short of a curse. I was horrified. I had just learned that the boogeyman was real and that the people who were supposed to protect me, my mother and father, were just as terrified as me. As a result, I promised my parents that I would never tell anyone, and I never did. That is, until now. Poor mom and dad are dead now. So it's just me in this dusty old house. Most of the time, it's okay. But times like last night make me feel like I've never moved on. Like I've been dreaming the same dream and have never woken up. But, of course, eventually the day comes to peek over those hills. And I'm reminded that there's still a life that needs living. But that all comes crashing down when I hear the sound of that terrible black packard. For every time I see those headlights breach the forest line, I'm a 12-year-old boy again, stranded in the night on a lost road and caught in the company of an inescapable devil. Devil's Clay is a Maltopia production. Today's episode was written by Stephen Anzalone and performed by Jamie Petronas and Stephen Anzalone. The episode was edited by Walker Kornfeld, and sound production and editing was performed by Stephen Anzalone. Be sure to check us out at www.maltopia.com and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Maltopia. That's M-A-E-L-T-O-P-I-A. If you want unique art and animations of Maltopia's stories, visit our YouTube page or click on the link in the show notes. If you're a fan and want to help the show grow, Be sure to rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform.